took a brief holiday vacation yeah. uh, just so that we could do a double feature on this one since it is kind of a two-part movie yeah um, and uh, yeah so we're back to close out 2020 we're probably not going to do any more episodes this year yeah uh, we might have a surprise for you but don't count on it um, yeah it's it's been a long year for everybody so uh, cut us a little slack especially since you're not paying us uh, <laughs> if you want to pay us we will uh we will start doing podcasts uh more regular and more frequently but until uh until then uh you'll take them when we give them to you yeah so uh that's a great way to start the podcast just be Everybody's sheer turning it off <laughs> sheer animosity towards our audience we love you guys. We're so glad you guys are listening. Yes, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> now, just don't let the door hit you on the way out. Oh. It's 2020, guys. We can be snarky and mean. That's what everyone else is doing. Anyhow. I thought our, our, we were trying to be against the flow. Oh, that's right. <laughs> now, we'll keep going anyway. All right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Guys, in all seriousness, uh, it's it's been a rough year for a lot of folks. Uh, by the grace of God, it's actually not been terrible for us this year. And so uh, we want to let each and every one of you know, no matter how good, bad, uh, easy, hard this year has been for you, uh, we get it. Uh, we get um, we get the, the strangeness of it all. And we encourage you to just keep going because uh, it came to pass. Uh, if you hear a noise in the background, that is our asthmatic cat just having a slight asthma attack right now since she was cornered by another cat. Uh, and uh, so let's, uh, now that we've meandered enough, let's let's talk about some favorite things uh, as of late. So if you want me to start, I'll start. Yeah, I got to think about it because I didn't right. think about it before we started. So right off the bat... Uh, this year has been fantastic for content arriving the way I consume content. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of an overall kind of streaming content and digital video games. That's how I, that's how I consume content. And this year has been great for it, especially mm -hmm. with the pandemic. Uh, HBO max is 
day and date going to release the new Wonder Woman movie, and I'm not going to have to go to a movie theater for that. Disney Plus has been killing it. I just finished uh, the second season of The Mandalorian, and it is so good that I can't wait to watch the show with you from the beginning so yeah. that you can see what I've seen. Yeah, because I have not, I've, I've seen an episode here or there, but I haven't really watched yeah. it. I was always lost. So. It, <laughs> it is so good. It is so good. I cried. Yeah. I cried at the end of the season two episode. And um, a lot of that's from Star Wars nostalgia, but it's also because this is a really well put together TV show in that universe. And I've really, I've really dug into that and uh I've heard people saying like yesterday when when I would go on Facebook I saw different posts of people saying it's everything they wanted the last few Star Wars movies to be uh yes and no uh I <laughs> I, I would have points with that but I think it's everything I want it I think the episode was everything I want a Star Wars TV show to be yeah and I actually have different opinions about movies versus TV and and the differentiation between them. Uh, I would say in the very near future, just because of theaters closing their doors and, mm -hmm. and things scaling back to more of a streaming thing, I think you're going to see the distance between TV and movies kind of closed where they're, they're not going to be that different, at least for a little bit, until yeah. theaters can get back on their feet. Um, but... I do like that there are a lot more like TV shows that are more movie like like they take mm -hmm. what was a movie what would have been like we've talked about that with the whole Harry Potter stuff and how they should have made a TV series of different I, <laughs> books instead I think that but, could happen now I yeah, don't believe that in two, in 2001 you could right but but no I, I have enjoyed that on some things because it could take more more details and stuff from specific, but even if it's just a mini series, it's not going to be full on. Like we're going to have it every year, every season, a new, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like, we're going to wrap it up in so many episodes, but there are some shows, there's a, an older sense, is it sense and sensibility or pride and prejudice. I don't remember. Um, is it BBC mm -hmm. um, that did? And I really enjoyed that back um, when I was watching through, through that. Cause I'm like, it took, it took the aspects that I really loved about the movie, but it kind of expounded on them and you got a little bit more information. I've never been able to read the Jane Austen books because I can't read that old English style. Mm -hmm. um, so I, but I love the movies. And so just to be able to see that and see it expound and it kind of just gives you a little bit more detail and information about what the writer wanted. Well, sometimes just giving material room to breathe. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, on this week's main topic of, of our movies, sometimes just giving a little room to breathe makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of breathing room, even in a two and a half hour movie, if you're, if you're trying to com compile multiple relationships, multiple uh, storylines, multiple actors and do justice to any of them mm -hmm. and so having six eight ten sometimes 13 episodes to tell a story is huge and uh i've really enjoyed that about mandalorian but i've also enjoyed that this year with uh actually if, if thinking back it probably goes to last year uh the tv show watchmen uh so 
I, I'm a big fan of, hey, kitty. hey, hey kitty. we're recording. If you want to mess with the plastic bags, you can do it after <laughs> we're done. Um, I'm a big fan of the book Watchmen. Uh, I'm a, I'm a pseudo fan of the 2009 movie, but not as much as I am of the book, but the mini series or event series that came out last year is such a it is such a sequel to the book not to the movie but to the book mm -hmm. and it tells such an interesting story with a beginning middle and end i am so glad it was not made into a movie yeah. i am so glad that it was its own thing i'm so glad that they didn't decide to make something about the book um and it was it was so enjoyable having that breathing room and the ability for the for the writers, the directors, the the filmmakers to to in the opening four or five episodes make a mystery and you have no idea how everything's gonna tie together. And then in that last four or five episodes, just bring everything home in a way that if you try to wrap up all the storylines in a in a two-hour movie. Goodness gracious! It would have it would have been a montage of, of reveals and yeah. and, and not enjoyable. More than like, well, it might have been there. <laughs> uh, the Ocean's Eleven movies do a pretty good job of they have these really yeah. convoluted plots and they wrap everything up. But one of a couple of things ends up happening. Either a they have to spoon feed the information to you mm -hmm. um, because there's so many dangling threads that they've got to tie up that they have to tell you almost verbatim, hey, this is what happened. Or worse yet, you miss it and you don't understand how it was all right. tied up. And that's usually me. <laughs> and so either of those situations happens. Um, it's not always as satisfying as when you see them start this thread and start this thread and start this thread. I, I think of the illustration of a tapestry or a, or a blanket being uh, woven on a loom. And you have this thread started and this thread started and this thread started. And you're like, okay, I can kind of see how maybe this one and this one go together. Maybe a jigsaw puzzle is another word. You've, yeah. you've got all the pieces. You can see where the pieces are, but you're not sure how they're going to connect. And then when the picture all comes together, it's so magnificent. Yeah. And yeah, I, it's a really good time to to be a, a fan of television, especially streaming television. And uh, if, you, uh, if you have high-speed internet and the capability to stream, you can kind of pick and choose what you want right now. I think our monthly streaming bill right now, now this is monthly, it's not overall, is like $5. <laughs> uh, well, and the reason for that is because we paid in advance. And yeah. I, if I were to break it down, I think it really comes down to about like $20 a month. Right. If, if I break it all down. But the services that we paid for the full year ahead of time. Yes. And, yeah. And honestly compared to what we were paying for traditional television and we didn't watch most of that right um it's a significantly less exp expensive proposition yeah but i say all that to say we've meandered again sorry guys it <laughs> is it is a sleepy kind of day uh we're here the week before christmas uh mentally physically spiritually yeah. all just kind of shot ready ready for the weekend yeah and um, my allergies are full-blown this morning and 
Yeah, it's it's all that. kinds of stuff, guys. <laughs> but when we come back, uh, we are going to dive right into uh, Casino Royale. Before we go, did you want to talk about any of your uh, favorite uh, Hallmark experiences of the past couple? Oh weeks? goodness, I've watched so many. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with that. Let, let's Whoa. let's pick one or two one or um, two that stood out to you so yesterday okay so it seems that because it's probably the last one i watched it was um it was called a christmas movie christmas mm -hmm. where this one girl wishes that her life was a christmas movie and so her and her sister just magically and she wished it to santa uh -huh. so and they magically wake up in this christmas land and you know the perfect guy and then the other guy that you know perfect guy is actually not as perfect as she thought whatever yes but it was a really cute movie i really enjoyed it the filming of it was really bad yeah like i mean i even talked to you about that when you walked in and saw what i was watching i'm like the picture is just weird everybody looked really fat in it because they were it they were blown up i don't know it was kind of weird they I'm, they used the wrong camera yeah. lens for the type but, of filming they were trying but uh but other than that like the story it was a really cute uh cute movie but then I watched one before that, which one, I can't, what it was called, like, uh, something about window in the title. I don't remember the titles I watched because I was just going down the line picking them. Mm -hmm. And it may, it may be my favorite one so far for the year. Um, just with this, this guy and girl are competing to get the head window dresser for this big, huge department store that's known for their windows at Christmas and mm -hmm. dressing the window. And so just the whole competition. And of course they fall in love by the end and, you know on Christmas Day but <laughs> you know yeah. they're just they're just cheesy 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 really bad acting that one probably didn't have the worst acting I've seen yet but anyway I've um I've been enjoying it mm -hmm. so I love these movies and I enjoy them when you're not home mm -hmm. otherwise as I was saying to my volunteers you uh it's like sitting in a, in a mystery science theater so, so I want to tell you right now, when I watch those movies, to be fair, I enjoy them. <laughs> you don't enjoy them anymore, but I enjoy them very much. Your commentary takes me away from them and just be, I'm just like, seriously, shut up. <laughs> it's all in good fun, but. <laughs> I love you. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I try to watch them either after you fall asleep or when you're not home. That way we don't have to deal with that. But anyway. worst, worst case scenario. I moved the TV in here into the spare room <laughs> from our from our bedroom, <laughs> and I play I play video games or stream something in here in the spare room. Yeah, that's alright, but yeah, I've been enjoying those. I love the cheesy. I, I don't always love cheesy movies, but for some reason I love cheesy Christmas movies. Oh, I'm sure you do. I mean, I like a girly rom coms and stuff, but I mean, you know which ones I like. Don't you enjoy mm. most of them? Except Just Like Heaven, I love that movie, and you hate it, but. I gotta be honest, I could enjoy it now. Okay. And make and make fun of it. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Especially after watching that rom com yesterday with Babyface Ruffalo. <laughs> that was a really good one too. Mm -hmm. All right guys, we're gonna take a short break just to let the recorder reset. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna dive right into Casino Royale, have another short break after that, and then come back with Quantum of Solace. See you in just a sec. All right, 
So we're back. Now, take a journey with me. <laughs> it's 2006. Okay. Uh, pop culture wise, James Bond kind of out of the limelight for a few years. The last movie was uh, terrible. Yeah. And uh, the only way that James Bond has shown up for the past four years is in video games or uh, as a, as a pop culture reference uh, on Saturday Night Live where they make jokes about him having venereal diseases. <laughs> um, so we get to 2006 and we hear rumblings that we're going to get a new Bond and the the biggest travesty is that he's going to be blonde and that's just how, how dare they and uh, <laughs> So we roll around to uh, November of 2006, and uh, we get a movie that it's odd. Almost right away, we start hearing little pockets. Man, this this movie was really good, and it's it's quiet rumble, and then it gets louder and it gets louder. By December. Every person I meet is like, have you seen the new James Bond yet? Have you seen the new James Bond yet? Have you seen the new James Bond yet? So very quickly, word gets around of this new good James Bond. And it kind of flips the world upside down uh, on how we view the character and, and the universe. Uh, the big question in the 1990s for the Bond franchise was, can James Bond exist in a post-Cold War, Cold War setting? And the answer was yes. Yeah. The next question that they had to answer, could it be good? And that was a little bit more eph ephemeral, a little bit more vague, a little bit dicier. Yeah. Uh, because we got a really, really good post-Cold War bond in Gold, Goldeneye. Yeah. And then we got one that was kind of weird. I I still <laughs> really enjoy it, but it's weird. Tomorrow Never Dies. And then one that's, that's bad. And not even entertaining bad, just bad. And the world is not enough. And then we get Die Another Day, which is so bad, it's enjoyable. <laughs> That's the one with the ice castle? Yes. Okay. It is yeah. It is ridiculous. Yeah. But the worst the worst uh, offense of the time is that uh, when I'm trying to think of the timing, when the previous three James Bond films had come out, they'd come out around the same time as James Bond spoofs, the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> And they were doing the same mistakes that the spoofs were making fun of, but they weren't as funny. Right, because they're supposed to be more serious and intentional. Yes. I've not seen the Austin Powers one. I've seen clips here and there, but so I know what you're talking about. At but. some point, I will show <laughs> them to you, uh, get you a glass of wine and, and just <laughs> sit back, understanding yeah. that there's there's going to be just risque <laughs> jokes aplenty. Yeah. Uh, but they, their whole shtick was 
we're going to make fun of James Bond. And they did. And they were great. Yeah. And so 9-11 happens. Die Another Day happens. Austin Powers happens. James Bond producers have to retool everything. They have to retool how how are we going to approach this? How are we going to... We want to be taken seriously. We don't want to be a joke. Right. So... Uh, Purvis and Wade and I want to say Paul Haggis I'm going to double check myself on this Um, I'm going to vamp while I'm doing that Uh, I'll go back to the drawing board of how they're going to uh, yes Paul Haggis uh, how they're going to take this character into the 21st century we get, bless you, uh, we get one of the most faithful adaptations of a James Bond work in film form. And it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, so, were you in the car when I listened to Casino Royale? I think so. Okay. So, Dan Stevens, uh, who is Matthew from uh, Downton Abbey, uh, read the audiobook uh, just a couple of years back. And he's spectacular. Uh, just a little hint to anyone who's casting for the next Bond movie, Dan Stevens is your man. Um, <laughs> he should absolutely be James Bond. Um, him or Tom Hiddleston. Uh, Loki. Okay. Uh but the book is very similar. Uh, it's very small. So background for any of you who aren't familiar with Ian Fleming for the 20 episodes on James Bond we've done at this point. Uh, 19. We combined uh, a couple. Um, so Ian Fleming was a, a part of a group of gentlemen uh, British officers during World War II who did some insane works of espionage to win the war. Um, this includes acts of espionage in America to get America to join World War II. Ian Fleming and Roald Dahl, uh, the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, they were part of a force that went and seduced the wives of politicians in Washington (laughs) to get them to manipulate their husbands into having a more hands-on role in this overseas conflict. Because something a lot of Americans kind of gloss over in World War II history is uh, until Pearl Harbor, we kind of had it, no, that's over there. That's over there. That's not our business. Ah, it's over there. And uh, as soon as Pearl Harbor hit, bam, we were in. All right. And that took a lot of behind-the-scenes manipulation, a lot of espionage, in addition to uh, some other political machinations really good books on this that you can look up um 
but the original novel was Ian Fleming's way of telling a story based effectively on himself. And it's very small. The, the opening story is this young secret agent uh, who is an absolute misogynist going in and trying to hunt down this uh, European, I believe he's an arms dealer, uh, Le Chief. And it's this cat and mouse game. It's, it's bursts of action followed by lots of plotting, lots of... Uh, <laughs> we got a cat who just crawled into our pack and play in here. Uh, so the question becomes, okay, we're going to make a movie out of this. How do you make a movie um, in 2006 uh, about effectively a card game and you make this a James Bond movie? And Purvis, Wade, and Haggis's answer was very carefully. And we're going to get into it now. So, uh, the movie starts, and it starts, honestly, in, in something that took me back the first time I, I saw the movie. It starts in black and white. Uh, for those of you who haven't been watching along with us as we've been watching the James Bond films, uh, the early gun barrel sequence is done in black and white in the James Bond films. Uh, so the first time you see James Bond is in black and white. Yeah. So in this new film, we start in black and white. Uh, and the opening of the film is in uh, Prague. Uh, where, ironically, most of the film is actually shot, even though it takes place elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, that is one of our bucket list Locations, Location. yes, there and Budapest. Yeah. Um, but we get to Prague and we see a gentleman who is, he's a little doughy, um, looks like a desk, desk jockey, and he goes and he, as he's going into his office late at night, uh, we see a uh, a young James Bond sitting in the dark in the corner and he confronts this man and turns out that this man is the section chief for Prague and James Bond is going after him because apparently he's corrupt and he's been bent by an opposing force. You're giving me a look. Yeah. Okay. Like there was an unspoken question. No. Okay. Um, I was just listening while you were sipping. Okay. You sip your coffee. Uh, <laughs> so James confronts the guy and the guy is real smarmy. He's up front. He's like, who are you? Who are you? He's like, look, man. He goes, if they really wanted me gone, they would have sent a double O. And he goes, your file shows no kills. And he goes, and it takes, and Bond says too. Now this is the first time on screen we have heard what it takes to become a double O agent. You have to be the best of the best and you have to have two kills under your belt. Huh. First time we've ever heard this. Yeah. And uh, Bond alludes to, and we see his first kill, 
where we get a graphic fight scene where he fights and strangles a guy to death. Um, and one of the things that's unique to this film that we haven't really seen in previous Bond films is Bond is actually bothered by when he takes life. Yeah. It actually affects him. He's a soldier, but he's a soldier who's a human being. Yeah. He doesn't take it it doesn't give him joy or pleasure to do it. It it messes with him. The last well, we'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit. Uh in the last movie, Bond, actually in the last several movies, Bond <laughs> is mowing people down and making one-liners as he's killing them. Yeah. And just it's it's like I would blow the the pods off of a dandelion is how he snuffs out human <laughs> life. But Bond's talking to the section chief. The section chief pulls a gun on him. And he says, well, it's a pity. You were just getting started and pulls the trigger and click. <laughs> and Bond smiles, holds up a magazine and goes... I know where you keep your gun. <laughs> and uh, and as he's talking, as Section Chief and him are talking, there's a look on the Section Chief's face like, I'm about to die. <laughs> and, and he goes, well, he goes, that first one made you feel it, did he? He goes, well, don't feel bad. The second one is, and Bond pops him. And he rolls back in his chair. And Bond goes, yep, considerably. <laughs> and puts the gun away. And we go into our title sequence uh, with Chris Cornell, um, who just passed in the past two years. Um, and uh, it's a very different Bond song. It's very grunge rock. Um, and my reaction while I was going on was, oh, this is awful. To the Chris Cornell song? No, you're thinking. Oh. You're thinking of. Uh, I'm it trying was the to, duet one. You're thinking of. Stuff. You're thinking of Jack White and Alicia Keys. Yeah. Uh, with another oh, way that to was die. The second movie. Yes. Never mind. I'm getting. See, that's why back to back movies. I get them mixed up. I understand, but. Uh, and we'll talk about that shortly. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like the title sequence okay. with You Know My Name, which is a fantastic yeah. title for a James Bond film because it's a statement to the audience. And through this film, we're going to we're gonna be without a large portion of the comfort blanket that makes up what a James Bond movie is. We're not going to have Money Penny. We're not going to have Q. We're not going to have until the last frame of the movie, the Bond theme song. Uh, and those things that we think of that make James Bond who he is, he doesn't have gadgets in this film. Literally, the I didn't even notice that. Literally, the only gadget he has in this entire movie that isn't so much a gadget as a it's probably a good idea to have this on you if you're going to be doing any sort of uh first aid is an aed yeah in his car and a first aid kit that's got some special features on yeah. it like antitoxins but that's pretty much it it's the kind of stuff that if i were going into foreign territory and i'm not going to be able to trust doctors I would want to have some antitoxins and yeah. some things in my vehicle. 
See, I didn't even notice the whole gadget thing, and it wasn't missed. No, because James Bond in Casino Royale, the book, literally has a gun and his wits, and that's yeah. it. And James Bond is not his gadgets. James Bond is not uh, the cars. James Bond is not even the women. Actually, I would argue that a large portion of what makes James Bond James Bond is is the fact that he doesn't work well with women. And this movie explains why. Yeah. And the book explains why as well. Um, and I'll explain why to those of you who are missing it. Uh, Ian Fleming was a misogynist and hated women. Uh, <laughs> and so he wrote the character that way. This movie makes the character more tolerable. Um, but this movie plays out you know my name and we we get James Bond's initiation into this film and I love the the characters in silhouette playing out with the iconography of playing cards like he's shooting he's shooting clubs out of his gun yeah he, uh, a character gets stabbed with a diamond and right. and bleeds uh, whenever the the target uh, targeting radical goes over the queen of hearts uh it turns into vesper lynn's face and we we just get what i i would say it's top five opening sequences of the james bond film yeah and i really really enjoy this so we get through the opening sequence and immediately we're in madagascar uh actually I take that back. We are over in Uganda because we have to meet our antagonist. We meet Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre. Uh, we also meet another ethereal character who won't be named until the later part of the movie. Um, but let's just say, uh, keep in the back of your mind that this weaselly little uh, white fella is someone you want to pay attention to. Um, <laughs> But we find out that Le Chiffre is in bed with arms dealers uh, and terrorists out of, uh, out of Uganda and other African nations. He is, uh, he is kind of a middleman between uh, terrorists and... Uh, we'll, we'll just say that. He's a middleman to terrorists. Uh, he's the money man. And we find out that he's a banker of sorts. So we meet Lashif. We find out that he's in bed with these uh, Ugandan warlords. And they are not nice. Uh, although they've got a really cool pinball machine, which looks like a lot of fun. Um, uh, so neat thing to know is this scene, uh, the next scene that takes place in Madagascar, and most of the movie is actually not shot in Madagascar or Uganda. It's actually, a lot of it is shot in either London or Prague. Um, the one portion of this movie that's not shot in one of those two locations is shot in the good old US of A in the Bahamas. So I'm going to take a sip of coffee. <laughs> because I'm running dry here. Uh, we move over to Madagascar where uh, young, recently uh, promoted 00 agent, 007, is in the field with another agent. And this agent, he doesn't even deserve a name. I'm pretty sure he has one in the movie, but he doesn't deserve it because he's terrible. Keeps touching his ear, talking louder than the crowd around him. 
he and James are literally one of two white people in this entire crowd, <laughs> and he is drawing attention to himself. Yeah. They're watching a really cool mongoose versus cobra fight, which, uh, if it wasn't inhumane to the animals, uh, I would totally watch. Um, <laughs> come to find out they are trailing a bomb maker. Uh, the bomb maker has a name, but I forgot it, and I don't want to pull up my tablet to look it up. So, we're just <laughs> going to call him Bomb Man. Uh, so... As uh, Bomb Man gets a text that says ellipsis, he gets up to go, but notices this white boy touching his ear as he looks at him. And so he darts past, uh, and the poor dumb agent who can't stop touching his ear uh, falls into the pit with the mongoose and the cobra, and I like to think he gets bit uh, by everyone. Yeah. Uh, not even just the animals. I think the people around him just don't like him, and so they bite him. <laughs> Because uh, that's how that works. People just do that. I gotta be honest, he is such a poor agent. I hope kids are just like, <laughs> just all over his ankles. Anyhow, oh. we get a really great foot chase between uh, Bond and Bomb Man uh, through the streets of Madagascar, through a construction site. Really, really great stunt work. Uh, and as we've noted in the other James Bond movies, whenever there's a stunt or a location, what is being displayed to you as the audience is what is culturally important at the time. At the time, parkour was taking the world by storm. And so uh, this gentleman who plays Bomb Man uh, is uh, one of the foremost experts in parkour in the world. At least he was circa 2006. Wow. Um, if he keeps doing stuff like he did in this movie, it wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't around anymore. Uh, <laughs> Because this guy's bouncing off walls. He's running up cranes. He jumps through a window that's approximately six inches by ten inches. I didn't know that it was actually a professional parkour person doing that. Yes. I just I just knew he was really good because it, like, it looked really good. It was... I'm like, oh, he's doing parkour. And no, it's a it's a great action scene. And I yeah. just think of the episode in The Office where uh, Michael <laughs> just keeps yelling, parkour! Every time parkour! He, he jump over something and yell, parkour. I do, that at, I do that at work. I get off the toilet at work and I'm like, parkour! And just... <laughs> but uh, anyhow, Bond chases him through. And Bond is just a bull in a china shop. It, when this guy uses finesse to go over and through a window, Bond goes through the wall just yeah. Pops through. You made the you made the observation that you expected the Kool Aid <laughs> Man to pop through behind him and go, "Hey!" Yeah. Uh, but really great chase scene. Uh, eventually, Bomb Man makes it to uh, the embassy uh, in uh, in Madagascar, uh, and Bond doesn't care. Just goes in, wrecks shop, tears the place up, shoots it up, shoots a couple of guards, which I'm pretty sure is a crime up in, yeah. on an international level yeah, uh, probably caused all sorts of international incidents. Uh, Bomb gets the guy outside and the entire embassy guard just has him at gunpoint. And uh, Bond turns around, tosses away the gun he's holding, pushes the bomb maker back towards uh, the crowd of waiting guards. Then pulls a second gun out, shoots a shoots bomb man, and then shoots a propane tank to escape. Uh, really great action scene, even though there is no way it would happen. Yeah. 
there is a fantastic Mythbusters on uh, this particular item. I highly recommend it. It is on uh, the stunts of James Bond. Really, really good episode. Yeah. Highly recommend that. Uh, anyhow, we get back and we find out that one of the few things that was held over from previous Bond movies is Judy Dench. And thank God, she is easily one of the best parts of this movie and the James Bond franchise as a whole. Yeah. Uh, she is perfect as M. She comes through the door just mad about what Bond just did. She's like, crap. If if someone had done this uh, during the Cold War, they would have had the good sense to defect. <laughs> and she is just, she is just mad. And right off the bat, we get a scene where she goes home and Bond is in her flat on her computer. Yeah. And she is so upset. She's like, how did you get in here? And he goes, well, actually, once I figured out your uh, name, it was pretty easy. I didn't know that M stood for it. She goes, you utter one more syllable and I will have you shot. <laughs> and it's a great dynamic. And it sets the tone for Daniel Craig and Judy Dench in the movies they're in together. Because in these films, she is... Whereas in the previous movies, she was Bond's boss. She's almost a surrogate mom yeah. to Bond. And she will keep him in line. She is the only person that he ever, when they speak back, he actually kind of backs down. And it's a great dynamic. It's a yeah. fantastic dynamic between Daniel Craig and Judi Dench. And they have such great screen presence together. It's... Hey. Fantastic. Yeah, he has this respect for her where in the previous bonds with, with her as the boss is that, you know, there's not a whole lot of necessarily respect for her. It's she's got the position and she could It was kind of begrudging. It yeah. wasn't there wasn't any love really lost right. between Bond and M. Whereas in this, I I can firmly say I'm pretty sure Bond loves M. Not romantically, right. but in the same way that I love my mom or you right. love your parents. It's 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 literally like when they say something, whether you agree with it, whether you do it or not, you still love that person and it bothers you you weren't able to make them happy. Right. And that's that's a great dynamic for yeah. this film. So guys, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the greater plot for this film. Uh, we will see you in just one moment. And we're back. So Bond uses the cell phone that he stole off of the bomb guy. Because um, in the whole intelligence thing, you're not exactly reputable. It's kind of sneaking, lying, stealing, killing. I, there aren't a lot of nice people who uh, are secret agents. Yeah. Who knows that? I don't know any people who are. Yeah, I, I, here's the thing. Even if they were, they're lying to you, so you wouldn't. So you could be a secret agent. No, I couldn't. <laughs> Someone would come up to me and be like, you're a secret agent. And I'd be like, you're damn right I am. <laughs> and I just stole your dog. <laughs> 
That's why I'm not a secret agent. Yeah. Um, so Bond uses the last text message that was sent to the bomb maker's phone to track down uh, someone in the Bahamas. And uh, Bond flies over because apparently he's got lots and lots of money and can just fly internationally without any issue. And uh, he also has a great wardrobe uh, and yeah. a tailor, apparently. Uh, Even but for clothes he steals, but that's for a later part. Next movie. Yeah. Uh, so Bond gets to the Bahamas. We get our first bit of obvious product placement because he's driving a Ford, which seems like the last car that James Bond would ever drive. <laughs> and... Uh, Bond gets to the resort, and let me tell you right now, this this is the kind of place that I would save up for for five years to stay for like three nights. <laughs> and good luck. It is yeah. expensive. Um, but Bond gets here because apparently he's not dressed... I, I don't even... I'm trying to figure out how someone mistakes him for a... a bellhop but they toss him the keys uh and they're like well park it will you he goes yes sir right away and then proceeds to crash it into a guardrail and then throw the keys over yeah. his shoulder intentionally yes but it's fantastic because it it provides a distraction so that he can go into the security office yeah um, where he finds out that uh, the gentleman responsible for making the phone call was a Mr. Demetrios. Uh, we find out that he drives a sweet 1964 uh, Aston Martin DB5, just like the one from Goldfinger. <laughs> um, and uh, he is uh, staying on property and according to the front desk lady, uh, is not a nice person. So we find out uh, from the front desk lady, because if you ask anyone uh, with this seductive enough look and you look like Daniel Craig, uh, they will tell you anything. <laughs> um, but we find out that Demetrios is staying down the beach with his wife, uh, Solange. And we get we cut to the next scene where Solange is in a bikini riding a horse down the beach. Ouch. In, in one of the most ridiculous scenes in recent cinematic history, and somehow the way it's filmed, the way the music plays, everything, I didn't laugh. Mm -hmm. I thought about it, but I didn't. <laughs> and probably the reason I didn't laugh and the reason no one else laughed is intercut with this scene, Daniel Craig comes out of the water like Ursula Andress and Dr. No and oh my gosh! <laughs> I say this with absolute security in my sexuality as a straight white man. Holy cannoli! <laughs> that man's body is what I wish my body looked like after six months of killing it at the gym. <laughs> he is cut and cut and cut. And the fun behind the scenes feature is the shot they have of him coming out of the water is a complete and total accident. Are you serious? He was supposed to be walking towards the shore. Uh-huh. And got knocked on his butt <laughs> by a wave. 
Oh. And was getting up out of the water, and the shot they had was perfect. Was perfect. That's hilarious. Those are usually the best shots, though, you know, because it's not acting. It's just it's natural, and it's but it worked well. But it's it's him recovering from being knocked down and gets up. But anyhow, uh, Bond makes eyes at at Solange um, because. Who wouldn't look at someone riding a horse in a bikini on a beach? I'd be like, where'd you get the horse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, we go to the following night and Bond is playing poker. Uh, this place apparently has a casino in it. Uh, I'm not familiar <laughs> with Bahamas enough to know the gambling laws, but apparently you can just straight up have a high stakes poker tournament in the middle of uh <laughs> in the middle of your resort. And uh, so interesting fact, uh, and this is, I use the word fact loosely because it's hearsay. I, I have not done research more okay. than a quick Google. Uh, any and all dealers in this movie uh, at any of the tables are card dealers. They are not actors. They are professional dealers. They might be actors in addition to that, but they are card dealers first. Yeah. Um, and you can tell because they're fantastic with their hands. Um, but Bond sits down, sits down to a high stakes poker game and, uh, Demetrius is sitting there and he is just mean. He is just never smiles. The guy has a, a beautiful wife who comes in and is doting on him. He's like, you're five minutes late. It's yeah. like your beautiful wife just came to check on you, man. No one, no one else's spouse came and checked on them. They all left because they just, they just gambled away the last bit of the social security check. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Uh, Bond sits there and takes Demetrius for everything he's worth and the 1964 Aston Martin because we need a new reason for him to have that car. Uh, anyhow. Uh, Bond beats Demetrius, who storms off in a huff. Uh, Bond goes outside and picks up Demetrius's wife, Solange, um, who is very easily taken in by Bond. And Bond says, hey, you want to come back with me to my place for a drink? And she goes, sure. And he drives around the block, comes right back to the parking <laughs> spot. And I'm like, okay, that was charming. Yeah. Uh, and he proceeds to seduce her uh, and she even says at one point, I think you're only interested in me for my husband. And he goes, Oh, what makes you think that? And then proceeds to get more information out of her on her <laughs> husband. And then uh, he excuses himself when he finds out that her husband is leaving for Miami. And uh, I think that would be the point at which she go, you are just interested in me for my husband. Uh, yeah, because he stops to order champagne. He's like, "Hey, we need more champagne." And after she, yes. after she receives a phone call saying that he's going out, like, "Oh, we have more time together because my husband's going to be gone." Yeah. But then, as soon as she gets that, he's like, "We need more champagne." He orders it and takes off. Yes. He's like champagne for one. Yes. It's like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Also, you might just want to leave it at the door because she might be angry. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, we follow Bond uh, and Demetrius to Miami. Uh, they go to the bodies exhibit, which is real 
creepy because we get vivisected corpses. Um, that was really weird. It was a big thing in the early 2000s. Oh. Um, and uh, Bond and Demetrius end up facing off against each other as Demetrius is trying to uh, leave something for another bomb, uh, bomb man. We're going to call him Bomb Man 2. Um, this time it's personal. And... Uh, <laughs> And so Demetrius tries to kill Bond. Well, Bond gets the upper hand, stabs Demetrius. And uh, as this was pointed out by uh, Andy Cortez on a kind of funny, uh, they did a review of the James Bond films. He goes, he goes really quietly. He's about to be stabbed and Demetrius just gets stabbed and dies quietly. He's like, that's not how I would go at all. And I have to agree if if I'm in a fight with someone, I don't care if I'm the aggressor. I'm going to be like, hey, this guy's trying to stab me. This guy, this guy right here. Blondie, Blondie's trying to stab me. I would cause such a stink. And then if, as soon as the knife touches me, I'm going to go, ah! Your sound effects, man, when we're in the room, poof. Well, we are in a small room. My ears are a little congested, so it's like amplifying it. It's all right. (laughs) Anyhow, so Bond kills this guy who is very kind to die quietly and notices that the uh, keys he was uh, trying to drop off have been picked up. Uh, Bond calls the phone number that was last in Demetrius' phone uh, and sees this uh, bomb man, too, this time it's personal, uh, leaving in a cab follows him over to the Miami International Airport, where uh, waiting in security is Richard Branson being patted down. Uh, Richard Branson, who owns Virgin Airlines. And uh, Bond kind of has a cat and mouse game with this guy where uh, Bond is checking the guy out. The guy notices he's being followed, ducks into a dressing room, changes into a security uniform, and Bond chases him through the airport, uh, eventually the dude sets off the sprinkler system uh, through the chaos. Bond chases him out to the tarmac. We get a really great chase and fight scene uh, across the airport. Uh, find out via uh, Villiers, who is uh, M's personal assistant, uh, that the newest plane uh, from somebody, I don't know, uh, <laughs> is about to take off. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be super big deal. Um, and that's what this guy is trying to do. He is trying to blow up the plane. Mm. So uh, Bond and this guy get into a cat and mouse game. Really great fight. Some really great effects work uh, it, during the chase scene. Bond just gets beat to fire and just blood all over, scratched up, beat up. Bond actually gets hurt in this film. Uh, and it sticks with him at least for a few scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, eventually the bad guy thinks he's won and he's implicated Bond and he goes to set off the bomb, uh, the bomb and uh, Bond smiles because he has attached the bomb to Bomb Man 2 this time it's personal and Bomb Man 2 this time it's personal <laughs> goes out in a flash of light and uh, at some point uh, off screen uh, MI6 apparently explains that bomb, uh, Bond isn't a terrorist and gets him out, uh, and we go over to the resort, where we see easily the most horrific thing we'll see in this movie. Uh, Solange wrapped up 
in yeah. a hammock, just dead. And it is off-putting. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of the point of this movie in that in death, death isn't something to be brushed off. Right. Uh, and Bond kind of looks on dispassionately and M says, hey, are you bothered by this? And he's, he's like, no. And I would love to see the deleted scene where he goes, no, and she looks away and then he pukes. Um, <laughs> but uh, kind of the whole thing is that Bond is kind of a psychopath in, in this movie. And, and the movie never out and out says it, but Bond will do this stuff and and he he maintains this persona of disinterest and when confronted with the effects of of what he did he put this woman in the path of the bad guys um she was killed she was tortured and killed yeah and so we find out that lashif is is the guy who's been running all of these games. We as the audience knew this, but MI6 catches up eventually. And the idea is that he was betting against the, the airline. He was short selling stocks. And what he does is he takes the investments from his um, arms deal buddies. He takes the money they give him. He goes and effectively gambles. Um, and makes himself a profit and then uses the money to buy what they want. And he keeps building himself a small fortune. Well, in the process, he just lost a significant amount of money. Yeah. And we find out that his last recourse is he is, he is hosting the game, uh, a world scale poker tournament at the Casino Royale in Montenegro. Again, this is filmed in Prague, not Montenegro. Um, but, uh, we find out that Bond is to go over and compete because he is the best uh, at cards in MI6. We're told this. We don't see this, but we're told this. Yeah. Um, so after this scene, uh, Bond is implanted with a tracker in his arm so that M can keep a, uh, keep an eye on him because he just likes to wander off and go <laughs> rogue. Uh, and Bond goes off on assignment. We get a great train sequence where we're introduced to Bess Berlin played expertly by Eva Green and you didn't know she was French. No. And I got to be honest until I was told that I didn't know she was French. She does a good accent. She does a great accent. Most people who are French who do any accent outside of that it does not come off naturally. Yeah. And she does a fantastic British accent. Yeah. Um, but we get a great scene where they size each other up. She is uh, the Treasury Department's uh, officer on this case. She is the one in charge of the money. And we get a money penny joke where... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who says it, but someone says, Are you the money? And the yeah. other one goes every penny. Yeah. Or I am. She said. She says. Sounds says I'm, I'm the, the money, money, and he, he goes says, every, every penny. penny. <laughs> uh, but we get a great scene where they size each other up, and the power dynamic between these two is really great and sadly revolutionary for these James Bond films, where 
they are on equal footing with each other. And he, she even spells it out. She's like, look, women are disposable uh, distractions for you uh, as opposed to meaningful pursuits. And, uh, and he goes, don't worry, you're not my type. And, and she goes independent and he goes single. And it gives us an insight into Bond. Bond doesn't want someone who wants a relationship. He wants someone who wants a quick, quick lay and then he can get out. Yeah. And it, it gives us some insight. And it's very much the James Bond character that we know from previous movies of he's a pick. He, right. he has no interest in relationship. Oh, funny bone. Uh, he... <laughs> Uh, yeah, all my fingers are numb now. Um, <laughs> he, he is out for his own pleasure and to get the job done. And that's all he cares about. Yeah. And she knows it and she tells him and he tries to size her up and misses. And then she nails him to a T. And, uh, then after they're in, on a train together, they're in a car together, and he goes, oh, these are our cover identities. I'm Mr. So-and-so, and you're Stephanie Broadchest. <laughs> and she goes, no, I'm not. And it's a great throwaway joke, because in the old Bond movies, that totally would have been the name of a, of a, a Bond girl. Of a Bond girl. Um, but as soon as they walk into the casino, Bond goes, hey, uh, our... Our reservation is under this name, but it's James Bond and tells him right away. And Vesper gets super mad and Bond walks up and he goes, look, either they were going to find out or they already knew either way. We've got them reeling because we're not hiding. And, and so Bond and Vesper, uh, go up to their suite to prepare and, we will have more for you guys on that in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. All right, everybody. Sorry for the abrupt exit. I had to take a Walter PPK. Um, anyhow. Um, so, uh, Bond and Vesper go up to their suite and we get, they have a great dynamic, uh, Vesper and Bond in that they're always one upping each other and it's, it's a great chemistry. It's a great acting relationship. Uh, he comes in with this kind of skimpy dress and she's like, what's that? And he's like, look, I need every advantage I can get. I want them, uh, putting their mind on your neckline and not on, uh, their cards. So you're going to wear this. And then he walks into his room and he finds a dinner jacket and he walks in and he's like, what's this? She's like, it's a dinner jacket. He goes, I already have one. And this one's tailored. And she's like, oh, no, I sized you up. Yeah. And he puts did, this thing did on. Did she say the same thing back to him that he said to her about, I need you to look good or something? Yeah. yeah. And it's it's an excuse for it's an excuse for them to, A, flirt with each other a little bit more, but also for 
for us to understand why they're wearing what they're wearing. Yeah. Um, we go that we go down to the tournament and we're introduced to several players um, who just are. They look like they belong. I don't know uh, on a who's who of uh, stereotypes, um, <laughs> but we get honestly some really good card scenes. Uh, in the original story, uh, the game was Baccarat, uh, but because it was 2006 uh, and the number one uh, card game in the world was Texas Hold'em, uh, we get a Texas Hold'em tournament. Rules are pretty easy to follow, even though they keep telling them to us. And uh, we get some pretty good scenes. Uh, Bond wins some, Le Chiffre wins some. Uh, eventually they break. Bond puts a tracking device in Le Chiffre's, uh uh, uh, inhaler. What am I missing? Ah, yes, I missed one important character. We're also introduced to Renee Mathis. Renee Mathis is a local, uh, how should we call him? Uh, assistant to MI6? Uh, friend? Uh, colleague? Uh, he makes sure that the corrupt police aren't going to have their hand in anything that they're trying to do. Uh, so Mathis and Vesper kind of work as the chorus in this uh, series of poker scenes where they're telling the audience what's going on, uh, even when we can figure it out if we understand the game. They're telling us in, in the event we don't get it. And so uh, eventually the game breaks. Uh, Bond goes to track Lashif. Lashif goes up to his room. Uh, and uh, his girlfriend is being held captive by the Ugandan warlords. And they threaten her life. They they're about to leave. Uh, and they see Bond and Vesper over in the corner and know something's up. And we get a great fight scene between Bond and the, the two warlords. And Bond kills both of them. And Vesper is visibly shaken. Yeah. Bond says, hey, go get Mathis. Tell him to clean this up. And so the next day, uh, Bond's with Mathis out on the terrace, and uh, the bodies are discovered in Lashif's henchman's trunk. Yeah. And so we return to the game the following night, and everything is going pretty well until uh, Bond busts out. <laughs> and. He thinks that he knew Le Chiffre's tale, but it was kind of a bluff on a bluff. Yeah. And uh, Bond goes to Vesper, and he's kind of a jerk. He's yeah. like, hey, um, I need you to put me back in. She's like, no, you're not going to lose more money. And he goes, well, you're a moron. And she goes, and you're reckless. <laughs> and so Bond is about to go uh, murder Le Chiffre, and... Uh, one of the other players, a man of color named Felix, grabs him by the shoulder and goes, Hey, man, uh, you're not going to continue? And he goes, Well, I don't have the money. He goes, Well, that's a shame. He goes, I figured I should introduce myself, seeing as how we're related. And Bond looks at him and he's like, um, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but we don't look like. Uh, he goes, I'm a brother from Langley. 
he goes, ah, for those of you who don't understand, Langley, Virginia is the house of the CIA, uh, America's version of MI6. Uh, and Felix tells Bond, hey, um, we'll stake you. The only thing we need is when, when we beat Lashif, we get him. Bond goes, you know what? Cool. And so the Americans stake Bond. Bond goes back to the table. And he's ready to go until he gets poisoned. And Bond goes out to his car, uh, activates uh, apparently the MI6 version of OnStar, says, hey, I've been poisoned. Uh, they run a scan on him, figure out that he has been uh, poisoned with a neurotoxin. He'll need to use a counteragent and then use the defibrillator in his AED uh, in order to keep his heart beating. Uh, Bond puts the antitoxin in and is about to hit go on the defibrillator when he discovers that one of the leads is unplugged and Bond passes out. Bond is about to die when Vesper walks up, sees what's going on, reconnects the lead, hits the button, restarts his heart. Bond goes back inside uh, and she goes, you, you're not going to finish. He goes, uh, you're not going to finish in this condition. And he goes, oh, of course not. So he goes and gets changed and then runs right. down to the table. Because all the people in my station are being like, now go to the emergency room. Yeah. <laughs> so Bond goes back to the game and everyone's busted out, even Felix. And Bond sits back down just in time. There's going to be one more set of hands. This time, big, big buy-in. And we get to the final hand of the game. And the stakes could not be higher, mainly because everyone keeps going all in. Uh, which, honestly, is kind of, for our sake as the viewers, because this thing could go on and on and on. But everyone goes all in. And Bond wins with a straight flush. And everyone leaves. Bond and Vesper talk for a bit. Vesper gets called away. And uh, Bond realizes that things were kind of curious about how Mathis had acted. And so he runs out to see where Vesper's going. And Vesper is pulled into a car. And Bond gives chase. Now, before we talk about that... Uh, one quick thing that someone's pointed out is they don't like that Bond wins in a game of luck. That it's not skill that yeah. wins him the day. And I have to be honest, in this particular story, and in, in other stories involving games of chance like uh, Maverick or anything like that, which is another favorite movie of mine, um, sometimes there's something to be said for the fate yeah. uh, element and it works really well in this movie anyhow back to the <laughs> plot uh, Bond uh, gives chase in his Aston Martin DB12 which is so cool uh, and <laughs> so expensive and uh, chases uh, chases Chief down the road as he comes around a corner they have laid Vesper out in the middle of the road and Bond flips his car like seven times trying to avoid avoiding ugh, avoid hitting Vesper. So 
Uh, fun fact for anyone listening, they set a world record with this stunt. Uh, they used a catapult to do it, but uh, they expected the car to roll twice. Uh-huh. Uh, and it rolled seven times, setting a world record. They weren't trying for a world right. record, but set one. It made a great uh, view for the... Like, it, it was a beautiful scene in It's a, a great shot. Yeah, great shot. Whatever I was trying to say. <laughs> so Bond is pulled from the vehicle by uh, LeChief's men. Uh, they cut the tracker out of his arm so he can't be tracked by MI6. And he and Vesper are hauled away to a ship hold. Now, we get... Remember when I said that Solange's corpse was easily the most disturbing thing in this movie? Yeah. I was wrong. This scene is the <laughs> most disturbing thing in this mo movie because they strip Bond naked and they put him in a seatless chair mm -hmm. and Le Chief proceeds to torture Bond with a like a long knotted rope. And while they keep things PG-13, it is awful. Yeah, and you don't see what you know is supposed to be happening. I'll be honest, when you don't see, it makes it worse somehow. Yeah. And Bond is tortured. LeSheep threatens him. He's like, hey, you guys are going to give us the money. If you give me, if you give me the password to, to the money, because she has the account number, she might live. And what's unspoken there is, you're gonna die. And he goes, I'll, he even tells him, I'll give you a quick death. And then when Bond won't talk, he's like, all right, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feed you what you don't seem to value. Yeah. And he is about to kill Bond when all of a sudden gunshots come from the other room. The door opens and the little frail man from earlier in the movie uh, comes to the door and shoots Lashif in the head. Bond passes out and wakes up in a hospital room. Mm -hmm. So Bond is recuperating. Come to find out MI6 has recovered him and Vesper. Uh, and he is recuperating from all his wounds and torture. Uh, Bond has Mathis arrested on suspicion that he was the inside man and uh, and Vesper and Bond kind of tend to each other and fall in love and uh, then proceed to uh, start just having all sorts of intercourse. <laughs> and what's wild about this to me is Bond's testicles were just mutilated uh, in torture. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that would make things difficult. Yeah. He needs a little bit more recovery time. I'm pretty sure. Anyhow. There's probably a reason why they never show that he had children with all the women he slept with. Because I'm like, I know this is supposed to be like a reboot in a way for yeah. James Bond, but this explains why. Well, it is an, <laughs> it is an origin story. Yeah. Now, uh... Yeah. Bond and Vesper leave. They're very much in love with each other. And Bond decides, you know what? This is what I wanted. This is... 
this is what I've always wanted. I've wanted a fulfilling relationship. This is it. And so he decides he is going to leave MI6 for Vesper. So they sail together to uh, Venice and uh, they're going to start their new life together. And Vesper is like, all right, I'm going to go get some money and, and you get supplies. And as Bond is happy at his new life, he gets a call from him. And he goes, didn't you get my email? He'd sent his resignation. And she goes, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, where's the money we were supposed to get? And a change comes over Daniel Craig's face, his bond. And he says, funny, I thought you wouldn't miss it. And so Bond calls around, finds out that the money's been withdrawn. Mm. And he starts chasing after Vesper. And Vesper is meeting a gentleman with an eye patch in an alleyway. And we get a fight scene, and the guy threatens to kill Vesper, and Fawn's like, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and we get a fight scene into a floating house. Uh, the Vesper's thrown into an elevator. Fawn kills all the guys, but not before the house starts sinking and takes Vesper with it. And Vesper dies. We find out in the epilogue of this film that Vesper's boyfriend had been kidnapped and she had been blackmailed into helping Le Chiff and his men. And Em's like, well, this means that Mathis was okay. And Bond goes, no, it just means that it just means that she was guilty, not that Mathis is innocent. Um and as Bond is sitting there and M goes, Hey, it's all right. Do you need to talk? And he goes, there's nothing to talk about. It's over. The bitch is dead. <laughs> and he's put this armor back on that he'd taken off for Vesper. Yeah. And the, the misogyny that he was ready to put aside, he picks back up. And he sees on the phone, on Vesper's phone, the contact almost like she was trying to leave him a, a set of breadcrumbs to track this guy down. And it says Mr. White. Yeah. And so we follow Mr. White, the frail man from the beginning of Casino Royale who was with Le Chiff, ended up killing Le Chiff. He gets out of a car at Ju George Clooney's house in Italy. <laughs> um, and uh, his phone rings, he picks it up and we hear Bond's voice and he goes, Mr. White? Mr. White goes, who is this? And then he gets shot in the leg. And he pulls himself up to the steps of the house and Bond steps out in a three-piece suit and he utters the most famous lines. The name's Bond, James Bond. And then we get the James Bond theme. And that is Casino Royale. Yeah. Fantastic movie, great reboot. And a great first two parts in a three-part story. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I mean, as we were getting close to the end, I was sitting on the edge of my seat more because I had to pee so bad, but I did not want to miss the end of yeah. the movie. So and that's a kind of a testament. Most of the other James Bonds, it didn't matter. I would when I had to go, I would just get up and go. And no, it's a phenomenal movie. It might be one of the best movies of the past. 20 years yeah. um, but 
one of the things I really appreciated is it was faithful to Ian Fleming's James Bond, but it also modernized Ian Fleming's James Bond. Yeah. In Casino Royale, the book, even when Bond is with Vesper, he is a misogynist. Yeah. He is a pig. And, <coughs> excuse me, um, in this, Bond really loves Vesper. Yeah. And is willing to change and is willing to move on. And it is played so well by Daniel Craig and by Eva Green. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. It's sad that the movie we're about to talk about in a moment, which is effectively the second part of a two part movie, isn't up to that level. It's right. still good. It was so good. But it is nowhere near as good. It's we're talking one of the greatest movies of the past twenty years, mm -hmm. and a really good action movie. Yeah. And it's a shame because it's the same writing team. It's a lot of the same actors, um, but some of that special sauce is missing. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. ended up taking a break after that really long portion about Casino Royale, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. If you need to take a break, I really don't blame you. Yeah, that first part is really long. <laughs> yes. Uh, this one will be shorter, uh, as is the movie. Um, this yeah. is actually the shortest James Bond movie at 107 minutes. Um, so, whereas with Casino Royale, the stars aligned, we got one of the greatest movies of the last 20 years. Uh, with Quantum of Solace, we have almost the polar opposite as far as the stars aligning. As a matter of fact, almost everything went wrong. So, and for this film to come off being what I would say is a really good action movie um, is incredible. Uh, because this movie, I would dare say, you could call cursed. Uh, so... This movie is in the process of being made. As soon as Casino Royale comes out, they're like, oh, we've got a hit. We've got to follow that up. And so, first of all, they decide they're going to make a direct sequel to Casino Royale, which had never happened in James Bond's past. Every movie was standalone. Yeah. This movie is going to have a direct path. One. Two, uh, that happens. They're ready to go. They've got all the actors... They've got the writers. 2007 writer strike happens. <laughs> uh, Paul Haggis uh, and Purvis and Wade turn in uh, their uh, draft at the 11th hour. It's only a second draft. <laughs> uh, on top of this, uh, they've lined up a singer to, to sing the newest song in coordination with David Arnold. Uh, who's returning as the composer of the score, who, by the way, Casino Royale is easily his best Bond, Bond score. And Amy Winehouse dies of a drug overdose. Mm. Uh, the song uh, that she was going to sing, you can actually hear on Amazon Music as No Good About Goodbye. You can actually hear it 
uh, musically as a theme that plays throughout the film. But it is not featured. The song itself is not featured in the film. Yeah. And... It's such a shame. It is a shame. We'll talk about that a little bit more shortly. Uh, And then... The movie gets made, and it's... It's received okay. It's widely considered the worst of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, which is, by the way, not an insult, but a compliment. Yeah. Uh, it it happens. Right. And we're about to talk about it. Um, so this movie starts off literally five minutes after Bond has shot Mr. White in the leg. We are in a car and we are driving through the Italian countryside and it is a car chase. Uh, And easily the best car chase in Bond history. Um, I'm not even going to try to describe it. It all leads to Bond offing his pursuers in dramatic fashion. And it's really good. Um, and then Bond pulls up into MI6 Underground, opens the trunk, and pulls Mr. White out and goes, this is your stop. And then we go into not the worst James Bond uh, title sequence. Uh, the title sequence itself is okay. The song isn't great. Another Way to Die. And... Um, the song was awful. So the song itself isn't terrible the mix the mix for the movie is bad it's a lot better in album form uh i'm still not going to put it in this episode instead at the end of this episode uh, i'm going to put a james bond theme song i like a lot more um this song felt like two different singers were singing two different songs at the exact same time yes and so you've got jack white who is phenomenal from the white stripes you've got alicia keys who is phenomenal and they are singing a song that in itself isn't bad it's not the best bond theme song but it's not bad and the mix for the film is it is so dissonant it is so it does not flow it does not work the two voices don't mix well with each other. I could not tell who was singing which part. And it seemed like more of two people trying to compete instead of make something beautiful together. So it, it is, it it, it is a tone setter for this movie. And anyone who has a negative opinion of this movie, I can understand if this is a significant portion of that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we come out of that and, Bond and M and MI6 agents are interrogating Mr. White and they interrogate Mr. White and right off the bat, he starts laughing and it's a great scene. And he's like, Oh my gosh, we have been looking over our shoulders, worried to death that you guys know everything we're doing, that you know, our every move and you don't even know we exist. (laughs) And he goes, and and M is kind of taken aback by this and and says, well, we'll know soon enough. And and Mr. White kind of chuckles and he goes, well, the first thing you need to know is that we have people everywhere. And M's personal assistant pulls a gun and shoots at M. And 
we, somehow I missed that that was her personal assistant that was all through the last one helping her. It wasn't her personal assistant through the last uh, okay. one. It's it's, it's her assistant in this one. Okay, different. I was like, wait a minute, her personal assistant that was like her right hand person in the other one? No. Okay, uh, never mind. So, uh, Bond goes chasing after him. In the meantime, Mr. White was hit in the crossfire, and M was nearly hit but missed. Uh, and we get a foot chase uh, through, I'm trying to mem- remember what city in Italy, but it's during uh, one of the most violent horse races around. <laughs> and uh, I don't like the action in this movie as much as in Casino. The yeah. cinematography was a lot cleaner in Casino, yeah. a lot easier to follow. There are a lot of hard cuts. Uh, I blame the the Bourne trilogy that came out around the same time, <laughs> a lot of cuts for action. And it, it proves to be more disorienting than, than intriguing. And uh, it's okay. It's frenetic. Uh, eventually we get, uh, we get to a bell tower where Bond and this guy just are fighting on ropes. Bond gets the upper hand and shoots him. When Bond makes it back to M and the rest of MI6, Mr. White is gone. All that's left is the small blood trail where he was picked up. M has a great line and she is shaken. And she's like, she's like, that's just something people say. We have people everywhere. Flores say that. Yeah. And she is so weirded out. The dialogue in this movie, as in the last movie, is fantastic. And uh, we go over to MI6, which apparently got a tech upgrade. We've got some uh, Iron Man-style augmented reality for all the computer services. Uh, But we we find out that... I'm trying to remember the plot in my mind because it gets a little shaky. (laughs) We've got to get Bond over to South America uh, somehow. I'm trying to, oh, it's money. Uh, money on the guy uh, was tracked back to Bolivia. Okay. Uh, or that general, Haiti. Haiti. Yeah, they were in Haiti. Haiti. Sorry, this one is not as memorable as Casino Royale, and I'm trying my best to do this off the top of my head. So, Bond goes to Haiti to investigate. While he's there, and he makes contact with the <laughs> you, individual... Uh, tied to the double agent uh he uh effectively fights and kills his stunt double because this guy is roughly the same size and hair color and shape as daniel craig and uh after he kills the guy uh by cutting his carotid artery bless you okay it's it's not quite there (laughs) just don't do it towards the computer i'm not uh he takes the guy's clothes and then pretends to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the clothes fit like a glove. Just, yeah. I hope that Daniel Craig gets to keep his clothes after each of these movies because <laughs> we're talking 10 grand an outfit. Right. Um, but Bond goes downstairs. Uh, apparently, he's supposed to meet someone. Uh, and a lady pulls up. Her name is Camille. He gets uh, the briefcase that this individual was supposed to use he opens it finds Camille's photo and a gun 
And he looks over at Camille and goes, hey, um, someone was supposed to kill you. Camille tries to shoot Bond. Bond gets out of the car, steals a motorcycle that was tailing her, and follows her over to some boat docks, where inside is meeting our antagonist for this film, Dominic Green. Dominic Green is just a weird dude. Uh, when we meet him, he's just stamping paper, like as yeah, a nervous tick. it looks like tick. a receipt or something. But he's just stamping. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's like a calming thing for him, I think. But, uh, anyhow, he, he talks to Camille and she's like, hey, why'd you try to have me killed? He's like, um, you were sleeping with me to use me and you were trying to get information that you didn't need to have. So yeah, I'm going to have you killed. And, uh, he says, uh, I feel like you were just trying to use me to get to this guy and points over to general Madrano, who's getting off a boat mm -hmm. and goes, general, uh, this is Camille. She really wanted to meet you. So here, user, uh, the one request I have is when you're done with her, dump her overboard. <laughs> so Camille is sent over to this general. We get the impression is going to rape her and then kill her. Um, Bond is waiting outside, manages to rescue her, get her out of the situation. We get a nice big boat chase. Um, one of the things that the director of this film stated that he wanted to do was use the four elements in the action set pieces. Uh, the first car chase through a quarry was earth. Uh, this one is water. Yeah. So Bond gets Camille out. She's knocked out in the boat chase. Bond hands her off to a guard and says, here, take this and walks away. I like to think that we don't really get much quippy dialogue here because of the rider strike. Yeah. So, uh, Bond calls up MI6, says, hey, I need some reference on Dominic Green. Uh, M uh, calls uh, the CIA because apparently he's uh, under surveillance by them. And uh, immediately they connect him to Section Chief. And M tells Tanner, who's introduced in this film, played by Rory Kinnear, oh, CIA is watching him. And Tanner goes, how do you know that? She goes, um, I just asked to speak to someone about this guy, and they just connected me to the South American Bureau Chief. Yeah. Uh, played by, oh, why am I blanking on his name? It's Hopper from Stranger Things. We'll just call him Hopper for right now. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, he and Felix are actually in the plane with Dominic Green. And everyone that Dominic Green is talking to is talking to him about the oil that they think he has. Remember, this is 2008 at the height of the gas crisis. Yeah. I remember paying $5 a gallon, and I understand why people would be freaking out about yeah. oil. So... Uh, the U.S. is in bed with Dominic Green. Uh, General Madrano from Bolivia is in bed with Dominic Green. We find out here in a bit when Dominic Green goes to Austria that people all over the globe are in bed with this guy. <laughs> and apparently he is a part of an organization called Quantum. Uh, 
Bond follows Green over to Austria to an opera. They're going to go see a an avant-garde version of Tosca, uh, the opera, uh, which you can listen to on uh, Amazon if you like opera. Uh, one of my favorites. And uh, Bond goes in and is paying attention to who Green interacts with via earpiece, finds out it's this whole shadow organization made up of people from all over the world, including people within Bond's own government. Uh, while Bond is there, uh, he reveals himself, which was kind of dumb. Uh, but as he's chasing after these people who are involved with Green, he corners a guy on the roof, uh, throws the guy off of the roof, uh, and this guy lands right on Dominic Green's car. Green has his henchmen kill the guy. We come to find out that he is the Prime Minister's, like, bodyguard. Yeah. And Bond gets implicated for murdering this guy. Now, to be fair, had the guy not survived the fall, Bond would totally be guilty of murdering yeah. this guy. But the other guy shot him, and then Bond was accused of shooting this guy. And throwing him and off And then throwing him off a roof. So, throughout this film, every time Bond kills someone, M's like, hey, stop killing people. Yeah. Uh, but she apparently, it's, it's a new relationship. She doesn't realize yet that Bond just kills people. Um, <laughs> as I noted in the last film, Bond's a psychopath. He murders people for a living. Anybody who kills more than one person is a psychopath. And someone who kills one person might be too. Um, so trying to think through this bond leaves he tries to to walk away m says hey uh you need to come in bond's like no i'm following this lead so they restrict bond's movements they try to bring him in and bond goes rogue and who does he seek for help renee mathis and i would have loved to have seen this series of scenes get more of a rewrite and get more fleshed out. We talked before about TV shows having room to breathe. Right. This really could have used more room to breathe, but he goes to meet Mathis and Mathis is not pleased to see Bond because he was tortured and interrogated uh, because Bond accused him. Yeah. And at the end of a conversation, Mathis is just like, okay, I'll go with you. I'll help you. It's a leap in logic. I get that it moves us forward in the plot. I would have loved to see it fleshed out more. Um, but we find out on the plane uh, from wherever uh, Mathis's new lovely home is uh, to Bolivia that Bond is having trouble adjusting after Vesper. He drinks like six Vesper martinis, which will hammer anyone. I mean, even if you are the type of person who drinks every night, that will, you will not be able to see. Yeah. Like, period. You'll be blind. <laughs> and Bond just can't deal. He can't cope after Vesper. And going after green and trying to figure out what this organization is, is his way of coping. It's bonds way of trying to figure out why again, had the writers had more time to flesh out what's going on inside of bond. I think we could have gotten something just as special as casino Royale, but yeah. 
but instead we'll settle for this movie, which is still pretty good. Yeah. Um, Bond gets to Bolivia. Uh, as he steps off the plane, he is confronted by Strawberry Fields. I know. Uh, <laughs> who, in, she feels out of place in this film. I think she would have fit in a Pierce Brosnan Bond movie as a Bond girl. Yeah. But she is supposed to be a field agent, and she is absolutely useless. <laughs> uh, she is literally there to be objectified by Bond, yeah. and that is it. And so Bond uh, checks into a hotel with her, uh, sleeps with her, because that's what Bond's going to do. Yeah. Finds out that Dominic Green is hosting a party, goes to the party with Strawberry Fields and Mathis, uh, sees... Uh, Camille there about to be killed by Green. He rescues Camille, drives away. They get pulled over. Mathis is in the back of the car. Uh, the police, who are apparently corrupt, try to frame Bond for killing Mathis. Shoot Mathis, are about to kill Bond. Bond kills the two corrupt cops. A capture or kill order is put out for Bond after this. As, uh, as Mathis is dying, Mathis says, "Hey, you need to you need to forgive yourself, and you need to forgive Vesper." And uh, and Bond sits with Mathis until he expires, and then throws him in a dumpster. Yeah. Um, now, there's not really a whole lot more he can do. He needs to somehow cover up the fact that there's a dead body there, so that yeah. the police aren't all over him. But uh, from this moment forward, Bond is on the run. And Bond goes after uh, Green, goes out to the desert where apparently Green was having a geology study done with Camille. Uh, as they're inspecting uh, sinkholes, they're attacked by planes. Uh, they blow up their plane, go crash land into the uh, sinkhole. Bond and Camille camp out. When they return to town the next day, they find that Strawberry Fields has been murdered, dipped in oil, a la uh, Goldfinger, except with oil instead of gold. Uh, Bond evades capture by MI6 uh, and goes and meets with uh, Felix. Uh, if there's not a lot of plot, it's because there's not a lot of plot. Mm -hmm. uh, this will all travel pretty pretty quickly he goes and meets with Felix who's got the details on where Green is camping out Felix says hey brother you've got 30 seconds and then they're coming for you uh, this is where you need to go Bond says thanks Felix and runs away right as special ops team comes in and Bond is on the run again when we come back we'll get the climax to Quantum of Solace and I will get to rest my throat because we'll be done with this plot recap. <laughs> See you in just a moment. And we're back. We rejoin Bond and Camille as they plan to take down uh, Green and General Madrano, who are out in the middle of the Bolivian desert, uh, apparently at the most explosive place in the universe. Uh, <laughs> so we find out, uh, we found out earlier that what 
uh, Green is trying to get is all of the water reserves. He has created a drought and is trying to buy, create demand for all the water that he has bought and hoarded. Uh, so when he, when Green meets with General Madrano, he says, "Hey, uh, we put you in power. Now you're going to uh, give us exclusive water rights in your area, and this is how much it costs." And, Madrano's like, no, this is like way more than we pay right now. And he goes, hey, um, it's all right. Uh, just going to let you know, uh, we uh, killed the guy before you so you could get in power and we'll kill you uh, if we <laughs> need to. Uh, but you're uh, you're going to work with us or you're going to die. <laughs> Madrano signs and uh, as a peace offering is apparently handed uh, the lady who's bringing him stuff. Uh, so that he can try to rape her. And uh, we we find out that this is Madrano's modus operandi, is he rapes women and then kills them. Yeah. Um, so Bond and Camille break in. Uh, Camille goes uh, to kill Madrano while Bond uh, goes to hunt Green. Uh, Camille stops Madrano from raping the girl and uh, ends up killing him. In the meantime, Bond... Uh, just cuts like a hot knife through butter through all of Green's men. In the process, this entire place just goes up and like a like a matchbook in a fireplace just Yeah. Uh apparently the walls are made of pure gasoline because it, <laughs> it it's a lot of hydrogen fuel cells around and every time they even get touched they explode. Uh but Bond ends up uh catching Green and uh, injuring him and then goes to save Camille. Uh, they seem to be trapped in the burning uh, building before uh, Bond shoots uh, an exposed hydrogen tank and they get out. Uh, outside they catch Green and Bond drives him out to the middle of the desert uh, and in the process apparently off Green interrogates him about quantum. Uh, and then uh, tosses Green a can of oil and says, uh, I bet you make it about 20 miles before you think about drinking that. <laughs> and then uh, Bond leaves him in the desert to die. Yep. Uh, we go over and uh, Bond and Camille sit in the car and Bond goes to kiss her and she goes, hey, you're, um, you're obviously broken and messed up. So I'm going to go because <laughs> I don't think this is yeah. going to work. And I go, good on you, Camille. Yeah. Good on you. Uh, and it's phenomenal because now in two James Bond movies, we've gotten two three-dimensional uh, characters for women. Uh, and then we had Strawberry Fields. And, <laughs> uh, but with these two women for two very different reasons. They had their own uh, their own drives. They had their own uh, ambitions. They had their own actions. They had their own choices. And each of them went their own way. Yeah. And Bond has to deal with it. Um, but Bond is okay with Camille's choice because he's like, yeah, I am kind of broken. And he uses this opportunity. Earlier in the movie, we heard that uh, Vesper's boyfriend uh, 
apparently his body showed up, but when they did a DNA test, it did not match. So he hunts this guy down and he is in uh, Canada trying to woo a Canadian agent and uh, using the same tactics that he got the other one involved, including the same uh, necklace that he gave Vesper. Yeah. And Bond Bond pulls out Vesper's old necklace and goes, hey, did he give you that? He gave a friend of mine one just like that. Did he tell you how special you were? Did he? Let me guess, you work in intelligence? All right, I need you to go call your handler right now and let him know that you've got a leak in your organization. Um, But whatever you do, you need to go right now. Yeah. And then a minute later, Bond leaves. And we're like, did he kill the guy? Did he? M goes, is he alive? Bond goes, yeah, he's alive. (laughs) So this movie ends with M and Bond talking and, and M says, hey, you did the right thing. I'm glad you're back. Bond goes, me too. Yeah. And that's how this movie ends. And it's not some cheesy form of him, you know, with a girl on some weird location trying to avoid no classics. But he gets what the title of this movie is about. Quantum yeah. of Solace. A, a quantum of solace means a uh, a fraction of peace. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so the title of this comes from an Ian Fleming short story where James Bond goes to a dinner party and as he's at this dinner party, he tells a story of this married couple that just fought and fought and fought and tore each other to pieces and their marriage might have survived if they had been able to find even a quantum of solace. Uh. Um, but this movie... It's not bad. It's a great part two. If you're watching Casino Royale and then you immediately watch this, it's a great back-to-back. Right. Um, on its own, it's not great. And it, it kind of closes up the Vesper part with uh, trying to figure out why she did what she did. Yeah. And and it gives Bond the freedom to move however he needs to move. Yeah. And most of these movies from here on out, at least the Daniel Craig ones, will all flow together. But this closes that chapter on Bond Bond being the Bond from Casino Royale. And uh, do I wish it could have been more? Yeah. I wish this movie could have been so much more. Yeah. But I appreciate it for what it is. It's a beautiful film. It's it's beautifully shot. Uh, except for action. Action's for some reason <laughs> all over the place. But... It's beautifully shot. It's well done. It's well acted. Um, could it have been more? Absolutely. But I appreciate it for what it is. It's a good James Bond movie. I would yeah. easily put this up in the middle section to the upper echelon of James Bond films. Yeah. And I look forward to, in 2021, watching Skyfall and Spectre in the lead up to No Time to Die. Yeah. But I know I've seen all of these with you, I think but it's like just trying to remember them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really enjoyed these last two a lot more than any of the others. I think the fact that there's no cheesy gadgets and stuff that I feel like they take away from the movies. It's not it's, it's not a silly movie. It's a good movie. So I think, I think in most genre films, including James Bond, including these James Bonds, there's some silly. It's just yeah. a matter of what the silly is. Yeah. And 
for me, Daniel Craig sells this character in yeah. a way a lot of the other actors haven't in a, right. in a long time. As much as I love Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, I always viewed him as Pierce Brosnan playing James Bond. Yeah. When I watch Daniel Craig in the James Bond role, he is he, James yeah, Bond. Yeah, he is James Bond. Now, that said, that is not to say that Daniel Craig is James Bond, because when I watch Daniel Craig in Knives Out or in Logan Lucky, uh, Layer Cake, or Munich, I see those characters. But that's because he is playing those characters so well, including yeah. James Bond. But his ability to sell a scene really makes this character. I'm, I'm really excited for in 2021 doing these last two movies that are already out. And then seeing No Time to Die. Uh, just because it's been a good ride. Uh, through the good and the bad of Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, and Pierce Brosnan, it was kind of a roller coaster of good and bad movies, mostly bad or bad good. Yeah. But with these Daniel Craig movies, I feel like we turned a corner to where. I don't know that there is a bad Daniel Craig James Bond movie. Right. There are some that are better than others, but I would call even the worst Daniel Craig James Bond movie a good movie. Yeah. So, I think that's all I've got for this week uh, and this year. Yeah. If we pop back into your podcast feed before the end of 2020. Merry Christmas. Surprise. <laughs> uh, surprise. It's a surprise to us. We're not planning on doing any more this year. Um, but if we don't see you until or you don't hear from us until 2021. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. Have a Happy Holidays if you don't celebrate Christmas. And just enjoy your year. Find your favorite things to finish out 2020. It's been a hard year for everyone. And those favorite things seem to take the edge off. Yes. I hope you'll join us next year as we find more favorite things. Bye. Bye.